Hey there, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people from the province. Today we're chatting with Josephine Craker to hear about her journey towards self-discovery as a transgender woman. Let's get it going. Hey, happy Pride, everyone. On today's episode, we are featuring a fellow member of the 2SLGBTQ plus community, Josephine Craker, a transgender woman from Saskatoon with one heck of a story of self-discovery. Josephine is going to tell us all about her life leading up to her egg crack moment, exploring and eventually coming out as transgender, and what life has been like ever since. I cannot wait for you to hear this story because Josephine holds nothing back and is so transparent about the startling costs of physically transitioning for those that decide to do so, many of the misconceptions that transgender people face, and how she navigated this journey with her life partner and her daughter. I think this episode is so meaningful because Josephine does a great job of showcasing how unique each trans story is. Her, her natural optimism complements what she describes as a euphoric journey. And the way she shares the perspective she's gained along the way, it's truly heartwarming, joyful, and, and, and captivating. There's so much authenticity in this interview, and it's truly a privilege to hear her story. Josephine's joining us from her home in Saskatoon. So let's get this interview started and introduce her. What connects us to Josephine? Let's find out. Josephine Craker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. Happy Pride. How's Pride going Happy up in... Pride. Uh, how's everything in Saskatoon at the moment? Um, so far, it's pretty quiet, but like we live in a quiet neighborhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, like we're not we're not downtown a lot and, you know, mm-hmm. things being what they are these days. Uh, uh, it's just just not a lot of being out and about. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so far, it's it's... It's fun. All right. So let's just jump with a really quick introduction. I am super excited to chat with you. My friend had sent me um, your article when you published it, um, and we'll get into that. But when I read it, I'm like, I need to meet Josephine. You have such an awesome vibe and energy, and I can't wait to hear about your story. So before we jump into it, tell me who is Josephine Craker? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. All right. Let's see. Well... I am a trans woman, and I have been married to my partner, Heather, for since 2003, so that is a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Math gets hard the older you get, um, <laughs> so that's like 18 years. I feel like you should know, know that, but that's I feel okay. like I should know that too, <laughs> but I always remember our like anniversary and her birthday and Right. For years, she couldn't get my birthday because it's like right around Christmas time. Oh, okay. So she could never remember my birthday. So I sort of hung that. I, I, I would hang that over her head a little right. bit. Right, yeah. right. We are parenting our six-year-old daughter who is mm-hmm. at school right now. Mm. Um, hence, it's very quiet here. Uh, I am a stay-at-home mom. I'm a baker. I run a small bakery out of my house. And... I like to play music. I am from Manitoba. I'm not originally Ooh. from Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah. um, but I have lived in Saskatchewan cumulatively for probably almost 10 years now. Mm. So 
So let's jump in, um, but I want to make sure we're getting some context. So the euphoric journey to becoming Josephine was 38 years in the making. And before we get to this amazing moment of self-discovery, I want to make sure we hear that crucial context of who you were before we started this euphoric journey. So let's start with your childhood. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and especially how it related to your journey with discovering yourself. For sure. Um, so I grew up in a small town just uh, south of Winnipeg called Steinbach, Manitoba. Mm. I've been to Steinbach um, before. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to the Have you been to the museum? No, <laughs> the I Mennonite haven't. Museum. It was, it was oh, for a, a snow. It was for a snowmobile rally of all. Things. Okay. Yeah. That <laughs> I feel like that checks out. Yeah. Right. That, that. <laughs> so I'm from Steinbach, which is a very small. It's a predominantly Christian, predominantly white, predominantly heterosexual, cis, all the sort of like as white bread as you can get <laughs> yeah. kind of a town. Um, and that's what I grew up in. I grew up in the Mennonite church. And I guess one of the things that I was really thankful for uh, from my parents is that their gender roles were not necessarily as rigid as they could have been. Mm. Um, like my dad loves baking and cooking and for a variety of reasons became the, the primary cook in our household, you know? And so I grew up with a dad who made food and it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to slap some hot dogs on the barbecue. Like it wasn't <laughs> like, we didn't just eat mac and cheese every day. It was like homemade from scratch food, you know, like, Gourmet. from scratch maybe not gourmet but like at least homemade <laughs> right 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 so a little more than uh, than straight out of the box kind of thing and so yeah. that that was one thing that i really appreciated about them mm -hmm. um like growing up i had i have three younger brothers we were always sort of playing dress up playing make-believe my mom tells me that before school, you know, um, before I started going to school, I would change outfits like multiple times a day. And mm. that sort of like made a lot of sense as I got older. Right. Like, yeah. So talk, speaking about changing outfits, tell me about when you at 10 years old, you found a photo of yourself as a five year old in a feminine bathing suit that your cousin Andrea had loaned you. You asked your aunt to get rid of the photo. What do you think happened in those five years to make you feel shame when looking at that photo? I think it was just the, the prescribed and implied uh, rules around gender um, that I had been absorbing over that time. Like, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't really think too much about that. You might have some sense of your own where you fit in things. Um, like I, I remember, you know, in kindergarten and maybe even grade one, like all my friends were girls and, you know, playing house and things like that. And that wasn't, I don't remember it being weird. I don't remember being picked on for those things, but mm -hmm. like definitely as time went on, I think everybody sort of was getting these, these memos <laughs> from culture about what was, what was allowed Mm -hmm. for a boy to do and for a girl to do. And those were the only two options. My understanding was that that's, you know, like I looked like my brothers. And so, 
you know, I'm, I'm a boy like them, so I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be wearing a bathing suit like my girl cousin. And that's like something even without the gender roles, like that's something that I've always been very sensitive to is like transgressing rules that I didn't know were there. Like if I'm playing a game and someone's like, you broke the rule, but I didn't know that it was a rule. Like I feel right. very defensive yes. in those, in those situations. And I think it was a little bit of that, like just like realizing like, oh no, I didn't understand that I wasn't allowed to wear that bathing suit. And like, and there's evidence that I did this, that I broke mm -hmm. this rule. My nephew is uh, five years old. And during the pandemic, um, I painted my, my toenails black. I'm like, let, mm. bought a pedicure. I'm like, let's just try a, a nice little black shade for a second. So then I went over and was babysitting. And I noticed the moment I, I started hanging out with him, he looked down because I was wearing sandals. And he looked down and he's like, Uncle Mason, why are your toenails painted? And I said, um, because, yeah, I wanted to try try something new. And he said, but aren't girls supposed to get their toenails painted? And I said, no, actually, anyone can. It's if, if that's yeah. what makes them feel happy, then then anyone can do it. And then about 20 minutes later, he kept on looking down. He's like, Uncle Mason, I really like that you have your toenails painted. They look really nice on you. And that was a moment where I'm like, win for society. Like, that was something totally. that... Totally. Yeah. That's the same thing with, with our daughter as well. Like, um, because, you know, she's been growing up, like she's six now and I only came out two years ago. It hasn't been always easy for her processing that, but like kids are adaptable. I mean, just mm -hmm. everybody is, but I feel like kids yeah. are more open to that adaptation sometimes than adults are. Yeah. Um, and then I think adults get caught up in like, well, I'm having a really hard time with this. So therefore kids will be having a really hard time and I need to protect them from that. But as your story illustrates, like he's just rolling with it. He's, he's, cause he's still figuring out those rules. He's like, exactly. wait, I thought the rule was this. And you were like, well, actually there isn't a rule about this. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, then I like it. Exactly. Like, he's allowed yeah. to, right? Exactly. There like you felt rule. like awesome. you weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to wear that bathing suit at that moment. Mm -hmm. So you feel shame. Like you broke the rule. Yep. Um, I've heard you say as well. Um, I remember as a teenager praying to God that they would make you make me a woman, even just for a day. I had mm -hmm. no idea about hormone replacement therapy or gender confirmation surgeries. The only solution I knew was a miracle from God. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. And I, I relate to that so much as a member of the LGBTQ community. And I would love for you to build on what's going through your mind as a teenager in these moments when you were praying for this change. In those times, really, I was probably praying to pass as a woman. Mm. I mean, that would have been technically, you know, because like technically I've always been a trans woman. <laughs> Mm -hmm. even when I didn't know for like over half my life. And so, yeah, looking back on those prayers, I was like, oh, not everybody prays that prayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. You know, not every teenager prays to be a different gender. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not like a, a normal or a common, let's say, right. uh, uh, experience for an adolescent. Mm -hmm. So... 
Uh, you were talking about um, if someone was there to say, well, it's okay. Like, this is okay. So let's talk representation real quickly and why it's mm-hmm. important. So what was your frame of reference for transgender people growing up? And how do you think that impacted your journey? Uh, it was large. I would say it was largely negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I mean, it was exploitative. Uh, it was misunderstood. Uh, it was who it was, was mostly like when you go on those daytime television talk shows, this man is a woman, or mm. I don't know exactly how they would frame Maury it, but some kind of like, it was yep. like clickbait of yep. the 80s and 90s, where it was like trying to be super controversial and really just like get people's emotions running. Um, and then the other uh, type of representation that I remember is, you know, they would have uh, a trans woman in a sitcom. It would just be sort of a one-off, you know, at a party or something, and some doodly dude, like, saunters up and hits on her and then finds out she's a woman because she talks yeah. really low or something like that. Like, it was the punchline mm-hmm. of a joke. And so, like, there was never for me a sense of necessarily wanting to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it's, I mean, it's such a negative stereotype. And there were no other, there were no Laverne Coxes mm-hmm. <laughs> at that yep. point. Um, yeah, I just watched uh, Disclosure. Um, yes, I was going to say. Yeah, and just such a great job of Laverne Cox of producing just a great narrative of like growing, going back and thinking of Maury Povich's talk shows where you have to guess if it's a man or a woman, right? And if it's a if it's a man, everybody like you can see like the fingers come out, they're laughing exactly. Like why would like just think about any impressionable kids watching that, yeah, or watching the CSI Miami's or the the Grey's Anatomy, the doctor shows where the trans woman comes in and there's there's something that has to do with her lifestyle that has to change in order to save her life it's just yeah the representation is it's yeah, better i remember that Grey's anatomy we just recently went through like all the seasons of Grey's anatomy and i yeah. remember those few episodes and while there were some parts of it that were like okay this mm-hmm. is all right i mean even for the especially for the time you know it's like 10 15 years ago or whatever mm-hmm. but it was still like Eh, yeah a little cringy disclosure is i think everybody needs to watch that not only for one of the most interesting things that i that i know about it is not only were all the people on screen on camera uh were trans Mm -hmm. but all of the people behind the camera Mm -hmm. uh were either trans or they were training a trans person in that job so that there would be more representation, not only in front of the camera, but behind. And I think that's so amazing that they did that. Like it's so that's, that's a way to affect change in society and in entertainment. So, uh, give me finally last part of this context before we get into the good part, give me a snapshot of your life as an adult leading up to your transition. Yeah, so growing up in a very sheltered community, um, I then went to Bible college, but I didn't want to go to Bible college in my hometown, so I went to Winnipeg, all the way to Winnipeg, (laughs) um, which was awesome because that's where I met my partner. 
Um, but also I was able to experience an expansion of my worldview. You know, one of the first days I was there and like I was coming out of like a very like, I call them like a happy clappy church, like uh, very Pentecostal, very like, you know, hands in the air, that sort of thing. Right. It was very much something that I was resonating with at the time. Um, and so I came from that context into a more liberal Mennonite context where, you know, someone just in passing was like something about a gay friend or going to pride. I don't know what they said, but all I remember was this person has a gay friend, you know, <laughs> like that, like they have a friend that they're not trying to like convert or like yeah. change who's gay. And they're like, they're, that's okay. Like they, yeah. they think that's okay. And like at the time that was very shocking yeah. for me. <laughs> so it gives you a little bit of a sense of like where I started. Right. Um, lots of rules as, as we mentioned before, even, you know, at the end of my first year, we were at a, a music festival with some friends and one of my partner's closest friends at the time uh, sort of like came out over the summer, but like mm -hmm. this, he had met someone, they had really clicked, they had like spent, spent the whole, like, oh, like just talking all night together and just seeing him the next morning, just like with this radiance of like happiness and contentment and just feeling at peace with himself. It was one of those points where I was like, this, how can this be bad? Mm. There's no way that this is at all against, you know, like he is unburdened. Isn't that good news? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm getting too preachy here, but uh, you know. No, I no, I appreciate that. It's not like he went and um, hung out with this person and then burned up and like into right. a combustion of yeah. like he was he was living like he he was happy. You could see this new sense of wholeness to him mm. that was just like, yeah, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. How? What? Like why? Why would I have a problem with this? Right. So that signaled to you it's okay for me to start exploring this part of myself. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so for, again, as, as we continued on our parallel and, and shared journeys, my partner and I, when we did get married, um, we both just didn't love terms like husband and wife, those kind of things. So we never used them. We mm. just always used partner. Right. Or life partner, um, which looking back, you know, I made the joke to her one day. I was like, it's like we were setting up our relationship for me to come out. Right. So at this moment, so you're married, um, you're having your first child. Mm -hmm. um, what are you doing for like work at this at this moment? Uh, at like 36. See, at 36, I was also a baker. I was not baking at home i uh used to work at another bakery here in saskatoon okay uh, which is called the night oven let's jump into the good part so now that we know where you were yeah tell me about what you have coined your egg crack moment yeah which I think so is so awesome so, so so your egg cracking is sort of like it's a pretty common uh term used amongst other trans people it's sort of that like 
realization, that like moment where you're like, oh, I think I'm trans. <laughs> you know, it's like something cracks and it just all spills yeah. out. <laughs> right. Like it's like a bird hatching where like the first bit of the egg kind of pops out and you can kind of see outside yeah. the egg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're starting to get a sense of what, what's on the other side of that show. Right. So my, my moment of egg cracking, it was actually, I think it might have been almost three years ago now. And it was on Pride weekend. And uh, so we had some friends who were visiting from uh, out of town. And so, of course, we were like, we're going to get, we're going to send the kid to a babysitter and we're going to go party because it <laughs> yeah. wasn't a pandemic at the time. So we had like, we had decided, you know, like uh, we were going to like get all like dressed up and it was supposed to be like a black and white party theme. And so, you know, we got our outfits all done up and then we were doing some makeup. Anyway, so we were all dolled up and ready to go out and we had a great time. I love dancing. Uh, mm -hmm. so it was a blast and we got back from that. We were back at our house and I was like, just sweating like profusely, uh, <laughs> because I had been dancing. Tore up the dance floor. Off. Yes. I, yeah. I, you can't not, you know, yeah. you have a reputation <laughs> to uphold. You have to give it your all. <laughs> and so, you know, we were dancing and I had like, at one point, I think my shirt was unbuttoned and then it went from unbuttoned to sort of like tied up in like a crop top bikini thing. I don't really know what it's called, but you get right. the picture, like the little yep, totally. middle. Something about that, like I think I maybe looked in the mirror or I saw, like I took a picture of myself or something and I was like, that oh, looks all right. Why do, why do I like how that looks? I'm usually very self-conscious about, you know, like at the time what I would have called my man boobs. Uh, and it was sort of like this mix of like a, a, a glimpse of joy partnered with like this sort of like fear of like, wait, what's happening? I don't know what's going on. This is very, this is freaking me out. Uh, and so that was sort of that moment was sort of like, what does this mean? I think mm. I need to figure out what this means. It's almost like when you are like assembling something and like there's not necessarily an instruction manual, but you put two pieces together and they click in a way yeah. where you're like, oh, that yeah, must go together. Yeah. yeah, it was like a switch was flipped. Like in terms of, again, coming back to representation, um, some of the best representation that I've had on my journey as I was sort of figuring things out was on social media and having people who are vulnerable enough to share their insights, their journey as they're transitioning, as they're figuring things out. And, you know, seeing people post things like, I didn't know I was trans until I was 33. I didn't know until I, I was, you know, 45. And I was like, right. oh, okay, so that's allowed. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm not late to the party here. This right, is something because, that we all do. Because one of like because the major narrative is that you've always known. Mm -hmm. um, and the truth is, is that is part of the population. That's not inaccurate. Yeah. But it's inaccurate to say that of all trans people. And so that was that was really comforting in a lot of ways to come across people who are willing to share those parts of their journey. That's so interesting and a big learning. For me, I feel like I get that question a lot. Like, 
when did you know you were gay? And mm. for me, it's always kind of been a little off-putting. Like, well, when did you know you were straight? Yeah. But it's true. <laughs> Not everybody knows, right? So I guess it's a fair question in a, in a lot of aspects. So you've had this click moment. Yeah. Tell me about what was step one? Where, where did you start to think, okay, let's start to explore this a little deeper? Uh, I think step one, I was sort of in this, in this space of like, when I had been in my twenties, like I had, you know, I sometimes wear skirts and like do stuff like that. Like I shopped at thrift stores all the time. And so I was just like, you know, nobody, it's the kind of place where like you can go and hang out in the ladies section. Like I had been buying women's jeans for years because I was like, they fit better. I like how they look better. Right. That kind of thing. You know, so that was like, nobody bats an eye at that. Yep. Um, And so it's easy to like mix and match in that sense where it's not as easy in a department store where people might police that separation a little bit more. Um, And so it was like really starting with clothing and uh, one of the first really cool moments of that journey was going to a little vintage shop here called Hazelwood Vintage. Um, and they, I was like, so like, I was like a sweaty mess. Like I was so nervous going in there, like not, not because I didn't feel like I fit there, but because I knew what I was looking for, which was like Mm. feminine clothing. And, you know, I, I was like sort of surreptitiously, like quickly, like grabbing things off the rack before people could see me Uh. grab them and then sort of like hiding them under things feeling like I was doing something wrong. And uh, the staff person just came up to me and said, oh, would you like me to start a change room for you? Nothing else. Like it was just Mm -hmm. as though it was totally normal, which it was, which it should be. Which it should it's be. not like it's not like she said, oh, I think that the men's clothing is over here. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. She just asked if I wanted a change room started. And I was like, OK, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about like, I'm sure we could look and like kind of read between the lines about why that was so meaningful. But I would love to hear you say it. Like, why was it so meaningful for like an everyday question? If you go shopping and someone says, can I can I start a change room for you? Why were those words so meaningful for you for you to signal this is OK for you to continue on this journey? I think it was just that permission that like unspoken, you know, like you can try these clothes on. You don't have to be ashamed of wanting to try these clothes on they're great clothes yeah Here, here's a change room for you and regardless of how someone looks you know like at the time i didn't you know i had short hair i had a beard but like i and at that point i wasn't even at the point where i was able to call myself a trans woman you know like that mm-hmm. was for me this whole gender journey has been one of evolution For me, even though I don't really like to necessarily tell people what my birth name was, I can look at pictures of myself and not, you know, feel super depressed Mm. because I, I don't think I've explicitly said this yet, but like, I feel like I had a good childhood. I had a good adolescence. Like maybe I did experience gender dysphoria at those times. I don't know because I didn't have that language. I don't feel like I have trauma from that in the yeah. same way that some that other people, other trans people will have. Right. Um, because I didn't, I didn't know. Right. And so for me, I've always, 
I've really looked at it as like, it's, it's been an evolution of me. I love the point about how you were on your own journey. And I feel like a lot of people, a misconception they have about coming out is that you're doing it for other people. Like you, like you're, hmm. you want other people to know your truth, but it's, we're all on our own journeys. And when we come out, it's more of a, I'm ready sort of thing. Yeah. And it's a journey leading up to it. That is that culmination of that moment. So I get that a lot. People say, hmm. well, don't you wish you would have come out a little bit earlier? Hmm. Like ideally. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, like, it happened when it needed to happen and I have no regrets about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thought I've done that thought experiment as well. And the first thing that I can think of is if I had realized and come out as trans in my teens, like, mm -hmm. yeah, there would have been a lot of awesome things like not having to go through two puberties. And that's because I choose to medically transition. Let's put right. that on the record. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that a bit. <laughs> but, I mean, I definitely, growing up in the town that I did, it would have been horrible. Traumatic. Very traumatic. Mm -hmm. I might not be here, mm -hmm. to be totally honest. And for sure, I can say almost with great certainty that I would not have met my partner. And I just can't imagine a life without, without her. And so, yeah. So what came next? So like you're shopping, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm liking these clothes. When was the moment where you're like, I think this is something where I'm, I might be trans and I think it's time to start exploring that. I think it was fairly early on. I am the type of person who tends to like cannonball into the deep end instead of like mm -hmm. wading into something. I was, I was going kind of full steam ahead. Um, so it probably wouldn't have been more than a few months mm -hmm. from like that, that egg cracking to like full on, like, you know, seeing a counselor, going to a support group and like trying to access as many resources as I could uh, in order to really figure that out. And just like, it's weird to say that, you know, I've been lucky about this because it should just mm -hmm. be standard. <laughs> right. But I am lucky to have a mostly supportive uh, family mm -hmm. and like almost entirely enthusiastic support from friends. Um, and I think that's in large part because like, that's just the sort of people we've surrounded ourselves with over yeah. the years. Like we're bringing people along the road with us yeah. before we get to that moment where we're ready to say it out loud because you're building that safety net almost to be able to like a cocoon almost mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're surrounding yourself with support. And a lot of the times I look back on my journey, I didn't even realize I was doing it. Yeah. I didn't even realize that I was cutting away people that I felt like, Ooh, risk that could be mm. a risk or, and that's why inclusive language is so important because when people say something that, that offends me when it comes to that, whether they say, oh, that's gay or something. I'm not necessarily looking at that person who said it. I've already written them off. I'm looking at the people around me mm. to see how mm. they yeah. are going to respond to that. And right. I think a lot of those people who spoke up, I was like, come with me. Like, right. You're going to be one of my forever people because yeah. I'm going to need you someday. Yeah. So tell me about the moment where you said out loud for the first time, I'm a trans woman. Do you remember that moment? I remember, I do, I do remember, I don't know if I remember that exact moment, but I do remember being out for drinks with a very good friend. And she, you know, she's, 
she's worked in a lot of um, queer contexts and so I felt like okay if she's if someone's going to be able to help me figure out some answers it's going to be her yeah. And so we were out for a drink. And so I was, I was using the word genderqueer. I think I was at that point using they, them. And I think I had started to say, and she, her. Yeah. Uh, Under your breath a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of that stemmed from a fear wanting to claim woman and womanhood as mine felt a little bit like cheating. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it's sort of like, it didn't feel like I had earned it. Mm. Like, and it, and, and again, who earns their gender identity? So you're, you're out for, out drinks for drinks with this, friend. with this friend and saying like, Oh, you know, I'd really like to use the term trans femme, but like, I'm sort of worried um, mm. that I'm going to get, called out or like that you're not that, here yet that you haven't people that yeah title. that especially that women will have a problem with that like that mm. i'm sort of like claiming something that's not mine and she was like right. if that's who you are then you get to choose what words are for you yeah. nobody else gets to choose that for you so to be honest i mean most of my f friends who are women are cisgender women and they've been some of my biggest and most vocal supporters mm. in terms of transitioning in terms of like you know trying out hairstyles or trying out makeups awesome uh, what i love about this is that you have along along the way i think a lot of us inadvertently ask for permission mm. and in your coming out journey like you're almost without saying it is this okay so whether it is that person who asked they could start a cha or a change room for you whether it's your friend saying no, no, that's, if that's you, like you own that, it's pushing you forward to a place where you need to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I love about your story so much is that you had people guiding you along the way without you even really knowing that it was happening. I think there was, there was, I remember, I just remember this one thing that like before, before the egg crack moment was already, I was already sort of like having these thoughts of like, oh, maybe I want to like, start wearing skirts again like that i you know i used to do that when i was in university all the time like why did i stop doing that oh because i was yeah. like working in these different contexts that didn't really like allow for that right and i just kind of got out of it and like that's too bad i should start doing that again and i had this uh term in mind that i apparently didn't i wasn't the first one to think of it because i googled it because i was gonna like start an instagram about it <laughs> but someone okay. already took it uh, but that was, it was the term permissionary, turning like missionary, giving it a little bit of a, a, a I guess, a queer spin oh, and just I being like, you that. know what, I'm, I'm on a mission to, to allow myself to do these things. And this was before I was like actually intentionally exploring my own gender feelings, mm -hmm. but it was even just like fooling around with clothes, just like, yeah, I'm yeah. going to do that. So what was it like to rename and redefine yourself? And tell me, like, why Josephine? Mm -hmm. Why was that the name? Or like, this is this is me now. Yeah, um, I was thinking about this actually earlier today. And I remember when we were kids, because we would often, like, play, you know, make-believe games where we'd yep. take on a character. And my brothers would always have like their standby names 
that they like, oh, I'm going to be Duke, you know, because that was like a, <laughs> that was a, that was one of the G.I. Joes. I don't know if you remember right. the G.I. Joe. Yeah, we watched yeah. that all the time and we had lots of G.I. Joes and it was, it was yeah. great. And I don't think I ever had like a sort of like a, oh, that's my like pretend name. I didn't have one of those. And it was striking me this morning. I was like, maybe that's because like I wanted it to be like a girl's name. But like there was some part of me that I didn't even get to that part in the thought process. It was just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like it was shielded. Yeah, it, it was, was like, like just like totally hidden behind the curtain with yeah. the Wizard of Oz. And but like I always kind of like thought like I didn't hate my name. I just thought it was kind of dorky. My birth okay. name. And one sort of funny thing is it it can't really be shortened like it's already a pretty short name so like most people's names like you know hey my name is michael but you can call me mike so one of my cousins would instead of shortening my name he would lengthen my name mm. and so from that that was sort of like the seed that was like oh maybe instead of that i could make it josephine so it's sort mm. of like taking that uh, the masculine lengthening of my old name. Yeah. And, uh, and so Josephine was, was sort of a top contender for a while. And then, it, you know, it didn't yeah. hurt that like, you know, there's Josephine Baker who's like mm -hmm. pretty awesome. Yeah. Also her last name is Baker. You're a baker. I'm a baker. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, there's Joe from the little women. And the, that's been another thing is like, the short form, like, cause like Joe for me mm -hmm. always sounds like J O E. I remember posting something on my Instagram story about, you know, feeling weird about people calling me Joe because it felt like they were just like in my head. I'm like, Oh, they're just not cool with calling me a super feminine name. So they're going to call me Joe because it sounds right. like a guy's name. And mm -hmm. like almost everybody was like, well, that's not what I think of. I think yeah. of Joe from Little Women, or I think of, I mean, there's Joe from Grey's Anatomy, who's also yes. Josephine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, you, they, you know, everyone had like an, an Aunt Joe or I don't know, stuff like that, where it was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I have an Aunt Joanne. Everybody calls her Joe. That's what I think right. of. And so right. it's so interesting. It's, it's interesting the way that we gender certain things, mm -hmm. like names. Totally. So... I want to ask you a question and we were kind of talking about it, about like, like there's about like trans enough. And I love mm. this quote that you have. You, you said, discovering I'm a trans woman doesn't require me to change anything. I don't want to change. I can have short hair, a beard, a low voice. I can choose not to take hormones. I can choose to keep my body as it is without surgeries. I would still be a trans woman. The expression of my gender doesn't change my gender. Ooh, I love hey. that quote. Did you feel pressure to physically transition in order to feel trans enough? Only from myself. Mm. Only from myself. I have not felt any anything other than just support for my choices from other people. And that has been such a, a gift to transition in that sort of uh, environment in that, in that mm -hmm. kind of community. So yeah, it, I mean, it's definitely something that I have unpacked to an extent for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
and I go through waves. Like there are times where I'm totally okay with the body hair that I have, yeah. which is, you know, more than your average woman. Um, and then there are times where it just, no, it's got to come off. And so for me, that's, that's one of those things that ebbs and flows. Because I started my journey not with a feeling of dysphoria, but a feeling of euphoria. Like that egg crack moment was this like, ooh, I like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was quickly followed by like, wait, why do I like this? Ah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of panic. But I mean, it's really been guided, just like I, I've, I've said in the, in the article that I wrote, it's really been guided by euphoria and by joy and by positive things that have happened. And like mm. having those positive experiences, it's sort of like going up in a wine bracket. I don't know if you remember. I think that was like a corner gas episode where I don't know what you're referencing, okay. but I might jump in so as like, you go. Okay. So, so there's this idea that like, you know, you can be totally okay with like the $7 bottles of wine from the, oh, from the liquor store, yes. but yep. once you once you once you get a taste of that fourteen dollar bottle of wine or that yeah. twenty eight dollar bottle of wine, then then you can't go back. You're you've gone right. up a wine bracket, and so it was sort of like once I experienced those joys, then I would ex- then I did experience bouts of like being frustrated with my body, feeling dysphoric mm. about certain parts of my body, and so because I've because I have mostly put that emphasis on the joy part of it. I feel like I've had less hesitation when it comes to certain things, like should I start hormones? Like it just felt good to think about that for me. So what kind of things do you have to weigh when it comes to if you're choosing to medically transition? So you're talking about um, body hair removal. Mm-hmm. Is, are, Give me almost like a really quick checklist of like, okay, like here's the things to think about when you're, when you're going down that route. Um, well, again, it really depends on each person. Um, mm-hmm. But some of the more typical physical or medical uh, transition things. So going on estrogen or like feminizing hormones, let's say, uh, it will help your body hair to start disappearing. Like you'll get less okay. body hair. And um, if you go on testosterone, you'll get more usually, but it won't do things like get rid of facial hair. It's kind of like once you have that facial hair, uh, you have it unless you decide to get rid of it through either laser hair removal or electrolysis, both of which are quite expensive. Whereas when you go on, when you just, if you go on testosterone, your voice will drop when you go on estrogen, it doesn't go back up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so you got to do that yourself, Mm. (laughs) which is either you can go the YouTube route. Um, there's tons of voice teachers that have, uh, that have made videos and offered their services basically free of charge, which is wonderful because Mm -hmm. again, that's another huge cost. If you do want to, modulate your voice and learn how to do that it's possible right but it it you need to practice so i haven't been asked questions like oh have you had the surgery uh Mm -hmm. because there is no such thing as just like the surgery there's not just like not just one there's not just one surgery and they transform you yeah exactly 
Um, there are a lot of surgeries that uh, trans women or trans men can have. And, you know, one of them being uh, getting a vaginoplasty or a vulvoplasty, which is changing your bits down, mm -hmm. <laughs> down there <laughs> to match a more uh, female version of them. Or you might get a breast aug augmentation. Um, those are some of the, the main ones. Or facial... Facial feminization would be another one um, that's, that's actually pretty common. And so that would be like, that's like, I mean, these are all cosmetic surgeries or whatever you want to call them. Um, Is that like shaving down like your Adam's exactly. apple? Exactly. So you can shave yeah. down your Adam's apple. You can get your jawline sort of softened. Um, they might adjust your brow, right. all kinds of things like that. Or sometimes even like a nose job to like, Soften yeah. that a little bit more. So what are the, like some approximate costs, like when you are thinking about this sort of stuff to weigh? I mean, exorbitant. They're in the tens to hundreds of thousands. Like oh. electrolysis, at least here in, this, in, in Saskatoon, um, for a two hour session, I think I'm paying $120. So multiply that by like 100 or 300 because that's mm. the average amount of hours that a trans woman will have to go for electrolysis for her to get like a, wow. a, a clean face. Um, it could take up to 300 hours, which at $120 is... $36,000. 36000 just That's just your face. And time as well. Yeah. Time to get that done. Yeah. 300 hours of time. Yeah. Like a, like a really nice used car. I don't know. How much are yeah. cars these days? <laughs> I feel like cars are... That's a pretty nice car. A pretty yeah. nice car. Maybe even yeah. a new car. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And that's um, just for your face. And that's like just you for said. your face. Now, we are also fortunate that uh, the Saskatchewan government does cover some gender-affirming surgeries. Okay. Um, and I believe they do cover something about voice lessons. Um, they might cover some of that as well, depending on who your mm -hmm. provider is. Um, right. But um, as far as surgeries go, I know that for transmasculine people, um, they are covered for top surgery, mm -hmm. which is having your chest flattened, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, and for trans feminine people, it is... Um, bottom surgery or having the, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so top um, surgery for one, bottom surgery for the other side. What about hormones? Hormones are... What does that cost? Are, I don't think they are covered provincially. Again, I am lucky that I am on my partner's uh, health plan. And so mm -hmm. mine are subsidized. But yeah, hormones okay. are definitely a huge cost. Like even for me, because I have to right. even just pay the um, refill fee. I don't know. I can't remember. Dispensation right. fee or something like that. They call it at the pharmacy. So, so how much ballpark would so I'm hormones cost? Probably. I mean, that's this is for all my meds. So, yeah. I mean, for just the hormone stuff, I'm probably paying like like 25 bucks a month. And okay. that's like super that's subsidized. subsidized. Heavily, super heavily subsidized. subsidized. Like it's basically covered wow. except for that that dispensing fee. Okay, let's take a quick break from the conversation. 
obviously these treatments are quite personal and costly. We often recommend talking to a financial advisor in order to help you achieve these savings goals, but you might be wondering how to even get that conversation started. I reached out to Jesus Collin, a financial advisor at our West Landing branch and asked, if I'm ready to sit down with a financial advisor, what tips do you have to make sure I'm finding as much value in the conversation as possible and am best set up for success to reach my financial goal? Here's what he had to say. Thanks, Mason. The advice that I can give you is to be ready and open to answer a lot of questions. Financial advisors like to ask questions. It's not because we're there to judge you. It's not because we're there to downgrade your goal or anything like that. We're, we really wanna make sure we're understanding what kind of financial goal it is that we're working with uh, so we can give you the absolute best advice. Really don't be afraid to be honest about any of the answers you give us, no matter how personal or sentimental they are. Our job is to help. At the end of the day, as advisors, we have also been on that side where we're answering questions about our own financial goals. Everyone has their financial goal that's unique to them, and they know why it's important to them, what they need to do to achieve it, and as an advisor, that's my job, to make sure that I'm helping you celebrate that success and that milestone. Don't be afraid to reach out when you are hitting a wall or an obstacle down the road because our job too is to adjust the plan to make sure you stay on track to accomplish your goal. Thanks, Jesus. Such great points. Asking for help can be intimidating, but it can truly change the entire trajectory of your timeline for how long it takes for you to arrive at your moment. All right, let's get back to our interview with Josephine. So let's talk about your partner. So mm. tell me about your partner of 17 years, Heather, yeah. and what it was like to transition during a committed relationship, because this is so interesting about your story is this is something that not a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear if this added pressure or comfort during that process. Uh, both. <laughs> yeah. It has been difficult at times for both of us. Again, um, I am someone who goes all in right away mm -hmm. uh and so i was just like okay i'm gonna start wearing dresses and i'm gonna go out in public with lipstick on and she was like um can you give me a minute and so that was sort of like some of the beginning awkwardness was yeah my own excitement was not always able to allow for her journey to unfold in in a more organic way for her. It mm -hmm. was just like, I, I was at times very selfish. Um, and so that, that definitely caused some, a lot of tension between us. But I think in the end, you know, that uh, in the end, what it was, was a pacing question, just like a, you know, like I'm someone who's just like zero to 60 in three seconds, and she's a Sunday driver. Mm. You know, that's, we we have different uh, timeframes of processing things. Right. Uh, and that's been true, I think, all throughout our relationship. And it was just really difficult for me to accept that at that time because it felt like this huge thing that was just going to explode for me. I wanted to be a lot more public. And I was already kind of... I was pushing a lot of boundaries even before I officially came out like right. via social media, which is the most official way to come out these days. 
It is. Um, I did it too. <laughs> so uh, it was challenging for her. And I can appreciate that now, but I couldn't then. And mm -hmm. that's hard for me to, to make amends with myself over those things. It's just like, why can't, why can't she just be excited too? And it was, the right. truth was she just needed time. And she's a huge support for me now. Mm -hmm. And she just needed that time to get to that place. It makes sense why she would need, she would need some time to, to process because now it's like, well, now am I going to be viewed as a lesbian? Right. What does this mean for our perception? Exactly. Like, do, do, how am I supposed to tell my family? Things like that. Yeah. But I think it also says so much to her and not no judgment if, if other people like this leads to um, an end of a relationship. But I also do think that Heather must be a pretty special person to have that much faith in your relationship and love to be like, I don't care about labels. I know, I know Josephine and I know that's my person and I know all my family. I love my family the way it is. I don't even have, you know, I, I just texted her earlier today and I was just like, I, I can't even express the gratitude that I have that you are willing to be on this journey with me. Like, this is amazing. You know, we were talking about, I was calling, trying to find out more about when I'm on a waiting list for, for surgeries. And so, mm -hmm. You know, and, and we're just talking about it like it's normal. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, <laughs> there was a time where I would have hesitated to even bring it up because I didn't want to yeah. cause tension. And now right. I can just be like, hey, I called this doctor. And she's like, oh, is that this surgery? The, the one in Montreal? Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, just a normal conversation. And it's amazing. Yeah. And I love it. And it's fantastic. And I love her. Yeah. And not, not only is she saying, good job, good for you. I'm here for you. She's like, is that this surgery in Montreal? Yeah. Like she is present. She is like, she's, she's holding her hand. We're doing this together. And I think that is so special. It's amazing. So you're also a parent mm -hmm. and I saw you post this amazing comic book. It was so good that you drew yeah. with your now six-year-old daughter. Yeah. So it's where you simplify your trans journey to a simple, just like yet such a beautiful way. So tell me about this journey, how this has impacted your relationship with your daughter. Yeah, well, like I, 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 I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier. She definitely struggled with it a little bit at the beginning because, you know, like, and she'll still say things like, I like when you have a beard. <laughs> mm, yeah. Because that's how she knew me for like half her life. You know, like, cause I was, I hated shaving. And mm -hmm. so I just always had a beard and I had a nice beard. Again, it was just a matter of time. Uh, she gets it. She's like, yeah, uh, now I have two moms and that's pretty cool. You know, like she's able to be just super open about it. Like, and it's just normal to her now. Oh, and it awesome. just, it, you know, I mean, it's sometimes we have to like oversimplify it a little bit, but that's like anything with a, with a child as they're, as they're learning. You start off with simple concepts and you add nuance as they're able to comprehend it. Um, oh, so true. But you know, like because my journey started with, oh, maybe I'm sort of like non-binary, genderqueer. So for a while we were using they, them. And, and so she would get kind of into this every once in a while she would sort of try them out for herself and she would oh. say like oh i think i'm a they now like that's how she would talk about yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm a they now 
Um, right. Okay. And then she would say, oh, now yeah. I'm a she or, you know, whatever. So she's just right. trying it out. You know, it's yeah. like, I mean, it's like anything with kids. Like they're just kind of experimenting and figuring things out as they go along. Yeah. They, it's so funny. Like they, they're so perceptive and they're so curious, but they just want to know, like we talked about earlier, like what the rule book is. Mm-hmm. Like they just like, like, and they look for guidance and yeah. the moment that they hear like, yeah, this is okay. You can just see that like, okay, this yeah. is okay. And it's like the barrier goes and then they start to put together their own thoughts yeah. and things like that. So I think that's beautiful. So what kind of gift of perspective do you think that she will have compared to another kid her age by being raised by a trans parent? I mean, I hope that it gives her, at the very least, that it gives her empathy for people who have had to go through similar journeys of discovery. I'm not sure what kind of gifts it's going to give her, but I I hope it gives her some gifts. If it's empathy. (laughs) Like she is getting a gift, yeah. like empathy gives you the opportunity yeah. to relate to people, to, to, to stand with others totally. and to really relate to them and work with them and, yeah. and be more kind to others, I think. Yeah. So last November, you wrote a point of view piece for CBC, and this is how I was introduced to you. And, and it's entitled writing joy into the transgender narrative. And that told your story and offered just such an optimistic perspective on the trans journey what was that like to write and publish something that you had navigated so intimately for so long and have it published on a national news outlet? I mean, it was an honor uh, to mm. be asked to write something. It was difficult. It's always personal. And then to have someone yep. be like, you should take this out. It's boring. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, like they're nicer about it than that. But that's how it sounds when right. you're receiving the feedback. It's always like a bit of a a bit of a process to communicate those personal things to a wider mm-hmm. audience in a way that's that's going to keep people interested um, but also tell a true story a story that you've been penning for years yeah. that is so deeply personal to you an opportunity for people to read it and and not make their own assumptions is such a gift i think and i think what like what i really wanted to do with that was to show these alternative narratives to what is often given as sort of the trans narrative, which is I've always known since I was like three years old and I have like all this trauma around my gender and it's really horrible. And that again is true for so many people, unfortunately, because Mm -hmm. our society and our culture is what it is. And it's very binary and it's very transphobic. It's very homophobic as much as we've made progress. (laughs) But I think for a lot of people, it is a journey of joy. Um, And that is often glossed over for the the pain and it's almost like some people have said have theorized that it's almost like to make transness okay for the cis heteronormative society it has to be painful and then it's like okay like as long as it like really sucks (laughs) then it's fine but it's not just that you know, like for a lot of people, yeah. it's not that at all. It's mm-hmm. just like figuring out this part of yourself and being like, yes, 
Mm -hmm. Let's do this. Exactly. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. And I think that's what's so awesome about your article. Your and you've you've used the term euphoria and how you've you and the wine, the wine almost mm. analogy is that you were like leveling up as you go and realizing like the joy along the way. So we're we talked about pronouns a little mm -hmm. bit. We're seeing an emphasis placed on utilizing the correct pronouns and things like Instagram bios, email signatures, mm -hmm. beginning of speeches. So um, I would love to hear your perspective on why using the correct pronouns are so important because people are like, well, we're just people just say, just say it. But I would love to hear from you why you think they're so important. Uh, we all use pronouns. <laughs> that's, that's just like, I mean, that's why it's important is because we all use them. They're, uh, they're a basic part of our language. It's important, I think, to be clear about your pronouns, as in offering them in an introduction, putting them in your email signature, putting them in your social media bio. The reason that it is important, I would say, is twofold. I can think of two main reasons off the top of my head why this is important for especially for cis people to be um putting those making those clear up front right um yep. the first one is that it normalizes doing that uh it normalizes offering pronouns um and what that does is it normalizes not assuming someone's gender based on their expression because as we talked about earlier Gender and gender expression are two different things. Um, you can be a woman and wear exclusively quote unquote men's clothing. That doesn't change that you are a woman and that your sure. pronouns might be she and her. And so, so it normalizes it. It normalizes not assuming someone's gender. What it also does is it creates a sense of increased safety in terms of people who might be exploring their gender to also explore it in that way of trying out pronouns, normalizing the fact that like some people might need to experiment with different pronouns to figure out which ones feel the best, especially the first few times when I would be uh, speaking with some people and some people might be referring to me within earshot by Josephine and she, her mm -hmm. pronouns. I mean, it's like this like little like thumping in my heart that like in a good way, you know, it's yeah. just like this like rush of, of uh, endorphins probably. I don't know. Well, it's like the conversation you were saying that you overheard when someone was talking about their gay friend in just mm -hmm. like a, it's a normal thing yeah. to do. It, it sends that signal to you like, Oh, this is accepted now. And that's something I've been holding because out of fear that it wouldn't be accepted. Now this allows me to to explore that feeling like I'm safe and, and it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So what is a misconception that people hold about trans people and what would you tell them? Well, one of the ones that we talked about near the top there was that that especially trans women are men pretending to be women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we didn't talk about this explicitly, but it does, they do go into detail in that, uh, disclosure documentary about why 
a lot of people might think that. And that has to also do with representation. And that's like when a cisgender male actor portrays a trans woman in a movie, let's say, that reinforces because when he goes off set, when he goes to the awards show, he's a man. But when he's on screen, he's magically a woman. And then people are like, oh, that's how it works. Yeah. But it's not. And you can see that with someone like Laverne Cox where, you know, she's a woman all the time. Uh, it's like, it's it's when you watch movies now, like I was just watching Promising Young Woman mm. and Laverne Cox is in there and she's, her role is just like the, the store manager of a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. But it's normal for her to be in there. It's not like she, they wrote her in there because they needed a trans narrative. No. It's just normal for her to be there. And I thought that was really, really That's cool. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any advice for anyone listening or how to, on how to support a friend or family member or loved one in their own journey of self-discovery? Just really be, listen with an open heart. They're not looking for answers necessarily from you. I mean, and if they are, they, they probably actually are needing answers from within themselves. I mean, like my friend said, you get to choose the words that describe you. Um, mm. And so just being really encouraging, being willing to listen. I mean, if you, you know, if it's a, someone who might be a trans woman and you are a cis woman, you know, like take them out shopping. Like there's, there's strength. There's, there's safety in that feeling of like not having to go alone. Like the first little while, like that I was shopping for things, it was, like I said, it was like super anxiety producing because I was going by myself. I think partly because I didn't really know who to ask to do that. You know, being able to go with, with a friend or two, I mean, it's huge. It's just, it has that feeling of like, Again, like euphoria, like you are belonging to a group and that can be so important. Um, last question before we jump into some really quick speed round questions. What's the future look like for you? It, it feels like this is so, still such a new chapter mm-hmm. in your life. I want to hear what you're most looking forward to. I think so. I'm coming up on being on feminizing hormones for almost a year. It's been just over 11 months. So, so that's that's really right. exciting. Um, because, uh, even though it is sometimes very easy for me to be like, "Ugh, nothing has changed. Uh, clearly there have been physical changes, uh, and I can see them because I have <laughs> taken pictures every month. Yeah. I started off taking pictures every day and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Um, this is such <laughs> a slow process. And so I've been keeping up that practice, um, especially with my my breast growth, that's like one of the biggest um, visible effects. Uh, I am hoping, I'm, as I said, I'm on a waiting list for gender affirming surgery. So I'm, I'm hoping that happens in the near future. Uh, these waiting lists, um, in order to be, I, I should say, you know, uh, it's covered, but the waiting lists are discouragingly long. Mm. Um, so I, I recently heard that uh, for trans women, for bottom surgery, the waiting list is now in Saskatchewan three years. 
Oh, wow. I don't know where I am. I like I've been on the list for a while now. So I'm mm. waiting to hear back exactly where I am in that. Is that because of like the volume yeah. or is that because it's it is the, the volume, volume and also there's only one. So you need a letter from a psychiatrist saying whatever needs to be said for the government to approve mm -hmm. it. So we're waiting for so that. Waiting Anything for that. else that you're looking forward to? Um, living life. I don't know. I'm looking forward to summer. Yeah. I, I have like, you know, cute bathing suit that I want to wear and <laughs> just like, you know, hot girl summer. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> With masks. <laughs> yeah. We probably yes. still have masks, but that's okay. That's so great that you're looking forward to wearing a bathing mm -hmm. suit after 10-year-old mm -hmm. you didn't like the look of right? your bathing suit. Right? Yes. Yes. So Full great. circle. Yes. So before I let All you right. go, I have some speed ground questions I want to hit okay. you with to hear. We'll connect with you on a different yeah. level. So first okay. question, the last movie you saw in theaters. Oh, my goodness. I know, right? It's so I hard with, I can't with even pandemic. remember the last movie. I remember that it was at one of those really fancy ones, though, where you could, like, order, like, like, like a, well, I think I had, a like, a burger and fries, but that was still pretty, pretty exciting to, like, have that yeah. at my, at my seat. Uh, yeah. But I don't remember what it was. Oh, you were no. so focused on the yeah. burger. Yeah. Honestly, that's probably <laughs> it. I don't remember what the movie was, but I remember what I ate at the movie theater. It I sounds about that. right. I mean, you ask that's any my of my kind friends of people. and they'll say, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, next question. <laughs> what trend do you wish came back? Oh, you know what I was just thinking about today was um, those like mesh slip-on shoes. I don't know what, like, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't like, know. So you know, like talking. you know, like those. You know, like there's like like jerseys have those like little holes in them or whatever. They're yeah. sort of like netted, and then you can right. get some that are like super netted, and they're supposed to be like really sexy or whatever. So they, your bird is like yes, yes, yes get the, Rose the is netted. All about this. So they had. <laughs> yeah. I remember having these shoes. They were just like those like slip on like Vans style shoes, but okay. they were like this sort of like netting material. <laughs> Like right, right. Rigid. I'm sure there's someone listening. Oh my goodness! Being yeah. like, "Yep, Send I totally in. know what yeah. she means." Yes. yes, a place in Saskatoon you can't wait to reopen or return to normal operations. I would say Thirteen Pies. Um, oh, I love Thirteen. I have, pies. I have like a bit of a vested interest, a bit of a bias, let's say, uh, because yeah. I developed their dough recipe because they've got a sourdough crust. Oh my gosh! Right? Really? Yeah. Well, it's delicious. I Actually, <laughs> you liked an Instagram photo of me at 13 oh, no pies. Way. And I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah. There you yes. Go. Just yeah. recently, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, she knows the 13 oh, pies secret. Mm -hmm. She's got it. Next question. What's on your nightstand? Too many books. Really? What are you reading right now? Right now, I'm reading a novel called An Unkindness of Ghosts by Rivers mm. Solomon. But I have a ton of books on there that, you know are in different phases of red and unredness. Yeah, I'm the type of person, like, if it's one book, I have to read one, and then I move on to that's the next. Kinda and that's kind of how I've how always done life. it. Yeah. And then recently I've started to do a little bit more of, like, book hopping, let's say. Right. But like, yeah, I've, I've gotten pretty into this book now. Like, at a certain point, you get into a book, and you're just like, I just want to read this book until it's done. Oh, yeah. The first album you ever purchased. Ooh. Oh, I think I actually know this one. Um, it's a tie okay. between because I bought them both on the same trip to Grand Forks. Yeah. And I bought uh, 
the cool one, I feel like the cooler one is I, I got Pearl Jam 10. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Nice. Nice. I also got cool. Aerosmith's yeah. Get a Grip, which has like the. Okay, that's it's, cool too. It's cool, but like in a less cool kind of way. Okay, last question. What connects us? Our humanity. Ah, I feel like that's probably been, that's maybe everybody's answer, but like. No, really? this, this is okay. the first time I'm hearing this. Go yeah. on. Tell no, me more. It's just like we're all figuring things out. And if we can appreciate that, we can appreciate these journeys we're on. I mean, what's more connecting than that is just like, yeah, you're trying to figure stuff out and I'm trying to figure stuff out and we're all just swimming in this giant ocean of human stuff. <laughs> that sounds so weird. This <laughs> you gotta get ocean it. of human stuff. There you go. There you got a right. title for yeah. your podcast. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, Josephine, thank you for swimming in this human stuff with me. I appreciated you taking your time and blessing us with, blessing us with some education, your, your story, your energy, your vibe. Oh, I just am leaving this so proud of you and that you're part of my 2S LGBTQ community. Thank you so much for being a part of, of the podcast and for blessing us with this amazing perspective and the insights from your invaluable journey. And I wish you so much luck as you continue to, to continue down your journey of self-discovery. Well, thank you so much, Mason. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Well, that's it for our chat with Josephine and this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. But if you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button and leave a review of the podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, I'm off to grab some pizza. Happy Pride, everyone. We'll see you later.